First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. You have your Bible, and I hope you do. You turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Tonight at 5 o'clock is our interest meeting for our new church planting pipeline. And so really throughout the day today, we're going to be just taking this day and, and just taking time to think about and, and pray about what God is calling us to do as a church with regard to starting new churches. I know we have new folks here uh, every week, and so you may not know much about the history of our church, but our church is almost a hundred years old. Uh, we'll turn a hundred in just three years. And uh, over this 97-year history, our church has a, a history, a tradition of starting other churches. Uh, there are actually more than 10 churches in this area that have been started by First Baptist Church of Melbourne over our history. Some of those include Life Point Church in Palm Bay and Lockmar Baptist Church and the church at Vieira, uh, which we started along with two other churches. Our most recent church plant is Bay West Church in Palm Bay on Emerson Road, uh, which we launched as an autonomous church uh, just uh, over a year ago, actually this past September. And we've also come alongside other church plants, including the Brook Church in Miami, uh, Redemption Hill Church in Boston. You just heard from our mission team that just returned from their service there. And so uh, I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful for that history. Uh, I'm thankful that God has allowed us in His grace to be a part of the starting of new churches throughout our history. But I also know that the Lord is always doing something new. And I, I believe, and I'm going to share more about this with you at the end of this message, but I believe that the Lord wants us and is calling us to be more intentional and more strategic about starting new churches than we have ever been before. But even more important than talking about what our plans are to start new churches, I want us to start by talking about what the Bible says about starting new churches. Because we want everything that we do as a church to be grounded and rooted in the Word of God. I think there are many believers and, and even many churches who are, who are fine with people talking about church planting, but really have never thought about how important and, and really how central to our mission church planting is. But when you stop and think about it, church planting is all over the Bible. We're going to dig into Acts 13 and 14 in just a few moments, but before we even get to that, I just want to share four uh, basic foundational truths about church planning that will just kind of set the stage for us. But, but first off, let, let's remember that Jesus was a church planter. Jesus was a church planter. In fact, he was the first church planter. After all, the church is Jesus' idea. And Jesus' plan was not to save individual people and then leave us out on our own to try to follow him as best we can. His plan was to save us into a community of faith called the church, 
where we can grow and serve together. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Again, this is his church. And every church that is truly preaching the gospel is his church. Jesus founded the first church. Jesus is head over all the church. Jesus was and is the supreme church planter. And second, think about this. The great commission that Jesus gave us is a call to plant churches. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, now, wait a minute, I've, I've read the Great Commission. It's the last few verses at the end of Matthew's gospel. And I'm pretty sure that I never saw the word plant or church anywhere in the Great Commission. And if you're thinking that, you would be correct. But remember what the Great Commission says. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, I know the words church planning are not there, but let me ask you this. When Jesus says that we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, do you think he means go and tell them about me and when they believe, leave them alone and let them fend for themselves? No, of course not. When Jesus tells us to go and to make disciples, when he tells us to baptize them, we're baptizing them into the church that he has founded. When he calls us to make disciples, he's calling us to do that in the context of the church that he said he would found 12 chapters before this in the verse we just read in Matthew chapter 16. And so the natural byproduct of our obeying the Great Commission, the natural byproduct of our going out to make disciples among all nations is the starting of new churches. And the first people who heard Jesus say those words, the apostles, spent their lives doing exactly that. That's the third foundational truth. The apostles obeyed Jesus, they obeyed the Great Commission, and they went out and they planted churches. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about how the 12 disciples and the apostle Paul, how they went out, they went everywhere, not only telling people about Jesus, but planting new churches as well, everywhere that they went. The early church was a church planting machine. The apostle Paul alone planted at least 14 new churches over the course of his three missionary journeys. We're going to look at a few of those in just a minute in Acts 13 and 14. But again, the apostles, they planted churches because they knew that if they were going to be faithful to what Jesus had called them to do, if they were going to go and make disciples everywhere among the nations, then that was going to include the starting and the planting of new churches. And the wonderful thing about that is that for us in the 21st century, as we seek to obey Jesus, as we seek to go out and make disciples and plant new churches everywhere we go, we don't have to try to figure it all out on our own. Because we have an example. 
we can know what it is supposed to look like because here's the fourth foundational truth. The book of Acts is basically a manual on church planning. The book of Acts is a manual on church planning. The longer name for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is the history of what the apostles did, how they went out under the power of the Holy Spirit and told people about Jesus and started new churches all over the Roman Empire. So there's a a lot that we can learn uh, about starting new churches in these pages. As as many people have pointed out, uh, the outline for the book of Acts and what Jesus was doing through the early church is really found in the eighth verse of Uh, the book of Acts. Acts 1 verse 8. And here's what that verse says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, So just looking at that verse again, this is a good outline for the book of Acts. Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Well, that happened in Acts chapter 2 on the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. Jesus said, after that, after you receive the power of the Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. And if you read Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, that's what you see taking place. You see the apostles going out in Jerusalem and in all Judea, sharing about Jesus with everyone they meet. And then you come to Acts chapter 8, and then the circle begins to get a little wider. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8, that's exactly what they do. They take the gospel to Samaria. Acts chapter 10, the first Gentile believer is saved, a man named Cornelius. And then in Acts chapter 11, some of the people who were scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution that were taking place arrived in a city called Antioch in Syria. And they started a church there. It was a growing church. It was an ethnically diverse church, as we will see. And the people in Antioch lived out their faith with such authenticity that it says in Acts 11, verse 26, that uh, they were first called Christians, which means little Christ, in Antioch. And so when we come to our text in Acts chapter 13, if you think about it, most of Acts 1-8 had already been fulfilled. The gospel's already been preached in Jerusalem. It's already been preached in Judea. It's already been preached in Samaria. And now starting in Acts 13, from this city, from this church at Antioch, now the gospel is going to begin to go out to the ends of the earth. Look with me at the first few verses of Acts Chapter 13. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now I've entitled the message today, Sending and Starting, Learning from the First Church Planting 
church. Now, I know some may uh, quibble with me calling the church at Antioch the first church planting church because, after all, the church at Antioch was started uh, by people from the church at Jerusalem, the, their mother church. And yet, as I mentioned, the reason why people left Jerusalem was because of persecution that had come upon the city. And as they were scattered, they went everywhere sharing the gospel and new churches were started. But it's really not until Antioch where we see a church that is intentionally and strategically sending out its own people for the sake of missionary work and for the sake of starting new churches. And so that's why I still believe that they deserve this title of the first church planting church. And there's a lot of things that we can learn from the church at Antioch. I want to focus on just three lessons to learn from this first church planting church. And these lessons, we're going to find them scattered all across Acts 13 and 14. But the first lesson is right there in the verses that we just read. If we want to be a church planting church, then like the church at Antioch, we must be willing to send and be sent. Like the church at Antioch, we must be willing to send and be sent. Verse 1 lists for us the five key leaders of the church at Antioch. Uh, Again, it says in in verse 1, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Uh, Prophets included those who could at times speak about things that were going to happen in the future. Like when Agabus in Acts chapter 11 spoke about a famine that was going to come. But primarily, prophets were those who spoke about what God had already revealed in his word. They were those who proclaimed the truth of God's word to the church. And so these five leaders that were named in verse 1 were prophets. They were the teachers of the church at Antioch. They were like the elders or the pastors of churches today. And these five leaders in Antioch were an amazing and interesting group of people. First, it says that one of those five leaders was Barnabas. Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement. And he was an encourager. He encouraged the church by the way that he gave. He encouraged the church by the way he spoke, by the way that he loved. Remember that it was Barnabas who first vouched for the Apostle Paul. And it was only because of Barnabas basically sticking up for Paul that the church was willing to accept this man who up until that time had been a persecutor of the church. Barnabas is an amazing character in the book of Acts. The next leader mentioned was Simeon, who was called Niger. The word Niger means black. Simeon was a black African man, and he was one of the leaders of this church at Antioch. Uh, Though we can never know for sure, it is possible that this is the same man who was called Simon of Cyrene in the Gospels. The man, if you remember, who was pulled out of the crowd and called upon to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus up the hill to Calvary. The next leader mentioned is Lucius of Cyrene. We don't know anything else more about Lucius, but Cyrene was a region of North Africa. And so again, it is likely that uh, this is another uh, black African man who was uh, a leader in this church. And you can already tell that this church in Antioch was a diverse church, uh, that it was a cosmopolitan church, and the leadership reflected that diversity. The fourth leader mentioned is a man named Manian. 
It says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. The, the wording that's used there means that he was either a childhood friend of King Herod's or, or even uh, like an adopted, like a foster brother of the king who was brought up in the king's household. And it's amazing that even though he came from that background with all of the evil influences that were around him, when you think about Herod's family, that Manian had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that changed his life. And now he became one of the five leaders of this incredible church. And then finally, there is Saul, who we know by his Roman name, Paul, who really, I think, needs no introduction. These are this church's five prophets, their five teachers, their five pastors or elders. And look at what happens next in verse 2. As they, and I think this means the whole church, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now don't miss the fact that it was as they were ministering to the Lord, as they were fasting, and as they were praying that the Lord spoke to this church. It wasn't while they were watching an original show on Netflix. And that's not to say that God can't speak through anything, but I think very often when we say, you know, I feel like God never speaks to me, is it possible that part of the reason why we feel like God never speaks to me is that we don't make time in our life, we don't clear away the clutter to do what this church was doing in verse 2, to minister to the Lord. To take time to fast and to pray and to seek his face and to ask him what he wants to say to us. That's what this church was doing. And it was while they were doing that that the Lord spoke to them. But I'm not sure this church was expecting what the Lord was going to say. He said, separate for me Saul and Barnabas. Set them to the side. Let them go for the work that I have called them to do And amazingly, in verse 3, this church obeyed right away. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. If, if we're going to be a church planting church like Antioch, then we have to learn to send and to be sent. But here is the deal. It is not easy to send. It's not easy to send. Think about how hard this would have been for the church at Antioch. I would have been like, Lord, are you sure about this? Are you sure that you want us to send those two people? I mean, can't we send Theodore, the guy who's always singing off key in my ear when we're having worship? Can't we send him? Can't we send Maria, the one who always brings that tasteless runny lasagna to the church potlucks? We can bless another church with Maria's lasagna, but don't take Saul. And don't take Barnabas. I mean, nobody is irreplaceable, but Paul and Barnabas are about as close as it comes to irreplaceable. There is probably nobody more loved in this church than Barnabas. Because of the way he cared for people, the way he encouraged people and loved people. And Paul, well, Paul is just Paul, right? We consider him the greatest, probably the greatest Christian ever. The man who would go on to write half the books, think about it, half the books of the New Testament. How would you feel if your pastor was Paul and God took Paul 
somewhere else. No, it was not easy for the church at Antioch to send these two key leaders away. There were many reasons they could have come up with for why it didn't make sense to send these two leaders away. There was so much work for them to do. There was lost people there in Antioch. God, why are you taking these people away from us? And, and, And you know what? The same is true today. There will always be a reason for why we shouldn't send people. But what do any of those reasons matter when God has said, go? God called them. And God will call us to send some of our very best. And as I look into the future, what I believe the future is for our church, this is going to be hard for us to do. It is one thing to talk about church planning when it's something conceptual, when it's something theoretical. But if in a few years you are looking up here on the platform and there are 20 or 30 people from our church, including perhaps one of our pastors and some of our ministry leaders and some people in our church that you know as you look up here are going to leave big gaping holes in our ministries that we have no idea who is going to fill them, at that point we're going to find out whether we're serious or not. Are we going to be willing to send the people that God has said, separate for me this person to the work that I have called them to do? It's at that point that we will know whether we're really trying to build a kingdom or whether we're trying to build our own kingdom. It's not easy to send. But let's not forget it's also not easy to be sent. Do you think that it was easy for Paul and Barnabas to leave Antioch? A church where they had spent a year of their life loving the people, getting to know the people, teaching the people. No, it was not easy for them. Do you not think that there were times over the next several years as they were out on missionary journeys in unfamiliar places, in difficult places, sometimes in very violent places where in their heart they did not long to be back with their home church in the church at Antioch worshiping as we've had the chance to do today? Of course they did It was not easy for them to go. It was not easy for them to be sent. And if God calls you to go out from our church, to be a part of a church planting work somewhere else, it's not going to be easy for you either. Because listen, if it's easy for you to leave a church, then that means you don't really love that church. It's hard to leave something that you love. To be sent out by a healthy, loving church is never easy. And yet Christian joy is found, as we all know, in obedience to the Lord. And so if he is calling you to something, then what he has planned for you is always better than what you may have planned for yourself. And so notice again what this godly church did where the people were first called Christians. Verse 3 says they fasted, they prayed again. And they laid hands on them, not to ordain them to an office, but to commission them to a task. And they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. That is obedience. 
And that's the kind of obedience that the Lord wants to see from us here at First Baptist Melbourne. He wants us to be a church like the church at Antioch that's willing to send out our very best to what God has called us to do. Because we don't want to just make disciples here. We're called to make disciples everywhere. That's the first lesson we need to learn. If we want to be a church planning church, then we must be willing to send and be sent. Here's the second lesson. We must share the gospel wherever we're sent. And this is true, of course, for all of us. Whether God has called us to live out our witness here in Melbourne as a part of the mission of this church, or whether God has called us to some other part of this county or some other part of this country or some other part of this world as a part of a church planning team, wherever we are sent, we're called to share the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of who he is, the good news of what he has done. And as you look at Acts 13 and 14, that is precisely what Paul and Barnabas did. Everywhere they went and every city that they came to, they only had one message and their message was Jesus. In verse 4, the first stop that they made was on the island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. And verse 5 says that when they got there, they immediately started preaching in the synagogue. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus. As you read through the following verses, they end up having a showdown with a sorcerer, a magician on the island. And in the end, the proconsul of the island, who was in charge of the island, heard the message about Jesus and put his faith in the Lord. And after that, they got on a boat. They sailed to the southern coast of Asia Minor to what is today called Turkey. And in verse 13, they came to a city there called Antioch. This is a different Antioch than the one in Syria that they had left out from. Uh, this city is known as Antioch in Pisidia. And it is here that Paul preaches a message of good news. And really it takes up the bulk of chapter 13, this message that he preached. But, but at the core of his message was, again, the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. He, he says to them, And though they found no cause for death in him, in Jesus, they asked Pilate that he should put him to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus. And then he continues that good news of what Jesus Christ does in our life when we put our faith in him. Look at verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Friends, we cannot be saved by trying to keep the law of Moses. We cannot be saved by trying to keep all the rules. We will never keep them good enough. But we can be saved and we can be forgiven because Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law. And because Jesus went to a cross and he died for all the times that we have failed to keep the law. And then he rose again on the third day. And as it says here, we can experience forgiveness through this man that God has appointed. The man, Christ Jesus. As we go out and share this good news. Again, whether it's in Melbourne, whether it's one day in a different city. 
as a part of a church planting team, we're, we're not responsible for how people respond to the message. We can't control that. We're just responsible to God that we share the message. And you know, especially in light of the last four weeks where we've spent this past month talking about heaven and hell, this quote really spoke to me this week from Pastor David Platt. Listen to this. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. Let me say that again. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. We who know Christ owe the gospel to everyone we know that doesn't know Christ. Now again, we can't control whether they believe or whether they don't. And we're going to find out as we go out and as we share that some won't believe. And as you read through Acts 13 and Acts 14, that is what happened to Paul and Barnabas. Look in verse 45 of chapter 13. It says, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. As you keep on reading, it actually gets worse from there. In Iconium, they end up getting run out of town. After that, they go to a city named Lystra, and things get even worse. Paul ends up getting stoned and left for dead by those who opposed his message. When's the last time you got stoned for telling someone about Jesus? That's never happened to me either, but it happened to Paul. And rejection will happen to all of us. Not everyone that you or I share the gospel with is going to believe. Some won't believe. But listen, whenever we share, some will believe. And this gives us great confidence as we go out and as we share that when we share, some who hear it, God will touch their hearts and they will respond with real faith. That's what happened to Paul and Barnabas. That's what happened to the proconsul on the island of Cyprus in Antioch of Pisidia. Look in verse 48. It happened again. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. When we go out and we share, God has not called us to share about ourselves. He's called us to share about Jesus. And when we do that, people will believe. People will come to faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And when we do that, when we're faithful to go out as ambassadors of Christ, some won't believe, but some will believe in every city, in every place that we go to. And the third lesson that I want to share with you is, again, just a reminder that the natural byproduct of telling people about Jesus, that when we send and when we share and when some believe, those who believe need to be established in new Churches. Here's the third lesson. Wherever God sends us, we must establish new churches and train leaders to lead them. That is what Paul and Barnabas did on this missionary journey. And you see that especially at the end of Acts chapter 14. Look at verse 21. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. The city of Derby was the farthest point 
that Paul and Barnabas went on this missionary journey. And it says that after they got to that last stop, that instead of going home to the easy way, back to the Antioch in Syria that they had come from, that, that instead they decided to take a much harder, much longer, and much more dangerous journey home. I don't know if any of you have ever lost something, maybe when you were a child and you went to your mom, you went to your dad, and you said, I can't find this thing, well, what should I do? And, and if your parents are anything like mine, they probably told you, well, you need to retrace your steps. Right? You need to go back and all the places where you've been today and kind of go back to every one of those places until you find it. Now, essentially, that is what Paul and Barnabas did. Now, they hadn't lost anything, but they retraced their steps. They went back to the very same cities that they had just come through. And, and what they did was instead of going straight home, they wanted to go back and check on these new believers and help establish them. Verses 22 and 23 speak about that. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is what they were doing. Exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Did you notice what verse 23 says about these groups of believers in each of these churches, each of these cities? When they had appointed elders in every church. Church. So, so again, Paul and Barnabas were not just evangelists, as we would think of an evangelist. They were what we would call today church planters. That now, because they had gone through these cities, because they had shared the gospel in each of these cities, now when they came back through these cities, there were now churches in each one of these cities that was not there before. And they wanted to stop in these cities to help establish these churches. And part of that meant raising up and appointing, it says, elders, pastors in every one of these new churches. Paul tells Titus to do the same thing in Titus 1. He says, Titus, on the island of Crete, where you are, you need to raise up elders in every one of the churches on that island. So raising up leadership was a part of what Paul and Barnabas were doing, but they did some other things as well. Verse 22 says they wanted to strengthen the souls of the disciples. They wanted to disciple them. They wanted to teach them the word. They wanted to encourage them. And particularly, they wanted to encourage them to not give up. They wanted to tell them to continue in their faith because we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I think the fact that Paul and Barnabas take this time to go back through all these cities and to stop at each of these churches, it shows us how important the local church is in the plan of God to reach the world. And what that means for us is that if we are going to be a church planning church like Antioch, we're not only called to send out missionaries, to send out church planners, to send out teams, we're also called to help establish these churches, to help encourage them, to help equip them, to help disciple them, to help them raise up leaders, and then at the end of the day to do what it says at the end of verse 23, and I love this expression, to commend them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You know, one of the expressions that's used to talk about church plants is to refer to them as daughter churches. 
daughter churches of the mother church. And that's a great way to look at it because at the end of the day, those daughter churches, much in the same way as when you raise up children, one day you have to release them to adulthood and release them to what God has for them. That at the end of the day, when you plant churches, there will come a time when you have to release those daughter churches and commend them to the Lord in whom they have believed. And then I love the last verses of Acts 14 where their trip, this church planning trip, comes to an end. Look at verse 24. After they had passed through Basidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. This is where they left from. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had now completed. And now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So after they retraced their steps, where did they go? They went back home. They went back to their home church. They went back to their sending church. Remember, this was before the days of email reports. They had been gone somewhere between one and two years on this church planning missionary journey. And so the church at Antioch, I'm sure, was thrilled to hear that Paul and Barnabas, their two leaders, had now come home. And they were anxious to hear all that God had done. And boy, did Paul and Barnabas had some stories to tell, tell them. One of the things we need to remember is that those who sinned get to share in the joy of what God does through those who are sent. Whether in God's plan we are the ones who are sent or whether we are the ones who sinned, we get to share in that joy together because we are a part of what God is doing in the planting of new churches. I'm excited about our church being able to, to share in that joy together of starting new churches. There will be challenges, but there will also be great joy and being a part of what God is doing in the world, and seeing new churches started in places where right now there are none. And as I shared at the beginning of this message, I believe God is calling us to be more intentional and more strategic about planting churches in the future than we have ever been before. Many of you have already heard this, but perhaps some of you have not. Our church's goal is that we would plant one church per year starting in 2021. Now, that is a a God-sized goal, and only God knows how he wants us to accomplish that. But right now, we envision planting both local churches in this 321 area of Florida and also sending church planting teams domestically to major cities across the United States. And we believe in both of these types of planting because the needs are in both places. We know that there's a tremendous need here in our local area. And we, we've seen that there are more than 200,000 people who don't know Christ within 10 miles of where we are sitting right now. And even though we're going to talk this fall about expanding this facility so that we can better be able to reach more of those lost people here, we know that our one church is not going to be able to reach all 200,000 of those lost people around us. Neither will even the existing churches that are already in this area. There is a great need for more churches here. Whether those churches are autonomous plants or, or, or campuses, 
or whether those churches are uh, come about through strategic partnerships with other churches in the area that, that are struggling, that we can come alongside and help them to better reach their community. Whatever God wants that to look like, we just want to be a part of what he is doing here. But also we have a great burden for the United States, for the, especially for the major cities of the United States. 83% of North Americans now live in a city. And while the population in our cities is going like this, the number of churches is going like that. And there is a great need in the major cities of our country, in places like Miami, in Atlanta, in Boston, and in other cities, there's a great need for more lighthouses that are shining out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to raise up trained leaders that we can begin to send to these cities with other families from our church who would say, you know what, I'm ready if God calls me to pack up and to move to another city for the sake of the gospel. And since our goal of planting these churches here and across the country is only three years away from beginning, that means the time is now to begin to prepare the leaders who will go. And that is what the church planting pipeline is all about. It's about training not only those who would serve as the lead pastors of these churches, it's about training and equipping those who God would call to be uh, other pastors or elders on that church planting team. It's about raising and up and equipping other ministry leaders that will be needed as a part of these church planting teams. And it's about raising up folks who would just say, I just want to go. I just want to be a part of the core team. I just want to serve however I can with what God is doing. And I'm willing and I'm, being, I'm available to be used however God wants to use me. And again, maybe that'll be as a part of a local church planning effort. Maybe that'll be a part of a domestic church planning effort. Maybe God will call you to something he's doing on the other side of the world. I don't know. You don't have to have it all figured out. I think the Lord just wants us to have an openness to what he's calling us to do. Because church, we've all been sent. Remember what Jesus said in John 20, 21. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you you. If you are a Christian, then brother or sister, you've already been sent. You've already been sent. All of us have been sent to share about Jesus. Some of us have been sent to share about Jesus as a part of a new church. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe God is saying to your heart, separate now for me. And he's speaking your name for the work that I have called you to do. I want to ask you to stand with me as Pastor David comes to play for us. And I want to invite you, while we're singing together the first verse of this song, I want to invite you, some of you in this room, to leave your seat and to come down here to the front and just to stand here at the altar. This is who I'm, I'm asking to come and to stand here. If, if God has spoken to you today and you, maybe you don't know for sure what he's calling you to do. Again, you don't have to have that all figured out. We don't have that all figured out. But if you know that God is calling you just to be open to being a part of a new work, just to have an openness 
to it. No one's sitting up here writing down everybody's names. Who's coming? Okay. But just an openness before you and God to say, God, if you call me, then I've already said yes. Whatever that looks like. And I'm going to ask you to come. If you're married, come with your wife or your husband. I know you haven't had time to talk because I've been talking at you this whole time. You haven't had time to talk about whether you're willing to move to the other side of the country. And I get that. And the Lord knows that. So again, I'm not asking you to have all those details ironed out. What I'm asking you is, are you willing today to come and stand here at the front and to say, I surrender to whatever God tells us to do? And we're going to begin to pray. As an individual, I'm going to begin to pray. As a couple, I'm going to make this a regular part of my prayer time. As a family, that we're going to pray and we're going to maintain an openness before God that if he calls me somewhere to be a part of something, that I will go. And so while we sing the first part of this song, if I've just described you, I'm just going to ask you to slip out from where you are and just to stand right here at the front. And in just a minute, I want us to have a prayer for whoever's standing here at the front. You come right now. God speaks to you. 